0: No matter who you are or where you go, heading outside, even for just a few minutes, is well worth it. Welcome to Humans Outside, where we're using the Humans Outside 365 Challenge to build a life habit around spending time in nature while learning from fascinating, outdoor-minded guests. I'm Amy Bouchotts. I've let curiosity be my guide as a journalist for 19 years. But life, including my husband's injuries from military service, had us looking for a better way to live. So we moved sight unseen to Alaska to see if an outdoor-focused life was the answer. Since September 2017, I've spent at least 20 consecutive minutes outside every single day, no matter what, to explore how nature can change my life. Ready to hear from experts and outdoor lovers who make heading into nature just a part of who they are while we work to do the same? Let's go! As I've learned to be a human who loves to go outside no matter the weather or anything else, I've grown to appreciate nighttime in a way I never did until maybe last year. And a major part of that is because I discovered that if I go out after dark, I get to stargaze. I know, that shouldn't have needed to be a revelation, but it was. I've always considered nighttime to be for sleeping, and even here in Alaska, where it's dark well before you could even imagine going to bed, I focused all of my outdoor energy on heading out during daylight, and then retreated into the safety of four walls after the sun went down. But here's what I learned. If you do that, you miss out on seeing the stars. And when you spend time with the stars, suddenly the world expands in a way that is hard to know unless you do it part of my learning journey came as a result of this conversation with Vicki Dirksen. You'll hear her intro here in a second from this episode I originally aired in season five. It's worth hearing again, and I hope it inspires you to do a little stargazing too. Here's my episode with Vicki. Vicki Dirksen loves something I am only just learning to appreciate, nighttime. While I've always seen night as the time a person goes to sleep, Vicky knows it is when magic happens in the sky. That's because after dark is when you can look up to see the dark sky and witness stars, planets, and the night sky. Night sky viewing and spreading a love for heading out after dark as a dark sky tourist has become Vicki's passion. She is the Vice President of the Fountain Hills Dark Sky Association near her home on the outskirts of Phoenix, Arizona. She's also the Project Development Manager for the International Dark Sky Discovery Center, a 15,000 square foot learning center in the funding phase located in Fountain Hills. But of course, that's not all. She also runs a night sky education website, nightskytourist.com, and a truly fascinating podcast, Night Sky Tourist. And I don't just say that because she had me, a totally amateur night sky viewer, on as a guest. She's had honest to God, experts and scientists on too. Vicki, welcome to Humans Outside. You're the first guest I've ever had on here to talk about the dark. And I'm so excited that we're doing this.
1: Well, I'm always happy. Talk about the dark. Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, we start our podcast episodes talking about our guest favorite outdoor space as if we were hanging out there together having this conversation. So where are we with you today?
1: Well, one of my favorite places that I hang out frequently when I'm able to get away is about an hour north of where I live. It's near Payson, Arizona and they have exceptionally dark skies, and we like to camp up there. There's a little lake, and we camp near the lake where we can kayak during the day, but at nighttime, the stars are absolutely stunning, and you can even see the Milky Way from there, which most people can't see anymore.
0: That's so, uh, so fantastic. Happy to join you out there as a night sky guide for me because as I mentioned this is not my area of expertise it's something my family and I have only started to dabble in and I'm really uh man I learned a whole lot just even from your free printable that you send when you uh subscribe to your uh newsletter and to your website um man I like even that was an education for me and I passed it on to my son. So thank you so much for all the work you've done on that because I found it super beneficial.
1: I'm happy to hear that. Thank you.
0: So how did you become someone who likes to go outside and specifically enjoys going out at night? How did this become a passion?
1: Uh, I've always enjoyed being outside. I grew up in northern Idaho, so my mom made us go outside a lot um, on the weekends. We would often go on a family drive out into the countryside and pick huckleberries, and you know, just kind of roam around where my parents could have some time away from home. So I've always enjoyed the outside, out, the outdoors, and um, you know, I can remember one time being in bed at night as a kid, and my my dad coming and getting us kids out of the bed and saying, you got to come outside. So we went outside and we saw the Northern Lights, which was amazing. And mm-hmm. you now you, you live in Alaska, so you understand what it's like, that it gets dark really early at night. Mm-hmm. And when I grew up in Northern Idaho, we, we had experienced things similar to that. So I always just kind of grew up playing outside at night with friends or with my brothers Um, But it wasn't really until I moved to Phoenix and I lost my view of most of the stars that I really started to understand the importance of the night sky and really be interested in stargazing. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So before we keep going, you keep referring to it being really dark and how that's really necessary. So this ties into a concept known as light pollution. Um, what is light pollution? What does that mean? Well, light
1: pollution is something that I didn't even know existed until I moved to the Phoenix area. That was my first memorable experience with it. And it's really where the artificial lights that we have on our homes and our businesses throughout our communities that shine upward and create glare. And that glare washes out the night sky. And so we can't see the Milky Way. In fact, over 80% of the Earth's population can't see the night uh can't see the milky way anymore and so that's those lights that are too bright for what they really need to do they're those lights that aren't shielded so they're shining upward into the sky which is completely wasted light Mm. and and having lights on when we don't need them where we don't need them and and it takes something away from our view of the sky. Not to mention what it does to wildlife and our in our human health too.
0: Mm-hmm. So you know it's interesting because I'm like I'm sitting here thinking now. I also said that I don't spend a lot of time outside in the dark. It's something we're <laughs> just getting used to, right? So, uh, with that little caveat, I'm remembering being a kid, and uh santa cruz california so on the beach but in a populated area and seeing the milky way and i can't even here in alaska i'm not sure the last time i saw the milky way Mm -hmm.
1: yeah our lighting technology has changed over the years and so everybody's been switching to LEDs because we're being told oh you know this is better for the environment because we're saving energy and that's that part's true We're also starting to use lights that are so much more bright. We're using so much more of them. We're being told that it provides more safety, which is not necessarily true. Lighting does provide safety, but, you know, it only goes so far and then you've just oversaturated everything. So, yeah. So from the time that you and I were kids till now, lighting technology is really ramped up.
0: Cool. Okay, well, not cool, but, you know. <laughs> <Understood>. <laughs> um, okay, so that uh, ties into the, my next question for you, which is why I wanted to um, define it. Okay, one of the things we're focusing on in this season of Humans Outside is nearby nature and nature accessibility. So this idea that you don't have to have in your brain that you get in a car and drive hundreds of miles away to go to nature, that nature is, in fact, outside your door. But, of course, that requires that we shift a little bit about of how we think about nature from being the Grand Canyon or something like that to being what's outside your door. And, of course, that is really dependent on where you live. So... Uh, is stargazing something someone can do when they live in a city, when they live somewhere where this light is just a part of life, you know, you can turn lights off on your home, but that doesn't impact the fact that you live near high rises or whatever. Right. So, um, is it something that people can do when they live in a city? Uh, and, um, how can you see the stars if maybe you can't regularly, regularly travel somewhere that's really dark?
1: This is such a good question because one of the things that I really encourage people to do is to develop a backyard stargazing habit. Ooh. And I like that. yes, because like you said, you know, most of my stargazing has happened in my own yard. And I've done a lot of stargazing in different places with my own community because I get invited to bring my telescope to places. But compared to the amount of stargazing I do in my own backyard, I do very little stargazing where i had to travel somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I might travel somewhere for some other reason and make time for outside stargazing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if you live in a city, really the big thing is that you're just going to have less things that you can see. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you can't enjoy a night of stargazing. You just won't see as much. And sometimes, depending on where you live, sometimes that can be a little bit beneficial because those major constellations tend to stand alone a little bit more. (laughs) When you go out where it's really, really dark, sometimes those major constellations just, you know, sucked up into all those other stars. Well, an experience I hope everybody gets a chance to have. But yeah, you you can still see, you know, with the exception of some really bright places obviously if you live in new york city or right down in the heart of sandal is some of these major metro areas mm-hmm. it's gonna be pretty tough but you know you can you can still find a way to enjoy the nice sky
0: yeah yeah you know um i love that 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 there are pros and cons in a way mm-hmm. um you know, it's like saying that there. It's it's similar to the way there are pros and cons to using whatever nature's outside your door, right? Like, okay, is the Grand Canyon fantastic? Yes, hundred percent, no question about it. Very beautiful, full of awe, helps your brain, all sorts of things, right? Is the is there something fantastic in its own way about whatever's outside your door, whether that be. Um, even just a tree planted in a small green spot in the sidewalk or, you know, something more, you know, backyard garden-esque, right? Is there, are there specific and wonderful benefits to that that you don't get at the Grand Canyon? Yes, there are. Um, And what you're saying is the same thing about the night sky. You can see a bajillion stars at the Grand Canyon. I assume I've never been there, but they sort of wash out some of the, more prominent constellations that you now have a special way to appreciate in your own backyard, wherever you are.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that people underappreciate what they can see from home.
0: Mm-hmm. So we spend a lot of time talking about prioritizing, going outside during the day. And by we, I mean me. But I think I think a lot of people do this, right? That we talk a lot about daylight and the benefit of you know getting some some vitamin D from the sunshine. And you know, and especially up here in the far north, that's the guidance, right? You want to get out when it's light outside. It helps your circadian rhythm, all that stuff. Okay. Um, but when you just harp on that all the time, you're missing out on going outside at night, which we're saying in this episode has its own benefits. Okay, so What specifically are people missing out on? Well, this
1: is a really, really important question because every day has a night, right? Mm. So you go, you go outside, like you said, during the day and you're getting your vitamin D and you're setting the stage for that circadian rhythm. And then what we tend to do when the sun goes down is to override that circadian rhythm by turning on our lights, in our house. We turn on all the lights. We stuff our face in our computer, our, our TV, our our devices, and all that that artificial light, and especially from our devices, that blue light, mm-hmm. it's hijacking your circadian rhythm. So you can be doing all those great things for yourself during the day, getting the natural sunlight and and prepping your circadian rhythm. And then you derail it once the sun goes down. Mm-hmm. And so there's something really valuable about appreciating the fact that every day has a night and night is dark and, you know, maybe dimming the lights a lot more in your house, only turning on a couple of them, let your eyes adapt to the dark a little bit and spend some time outside, you know, light pollution actually disrupts circadian rhythms and it can cause Mm. a lot of health problems in humans and, and wildlife as well it disrupts their mating patterns and their their way of communicating with one another and it's just such a valuable thing to to appreciate that nighttime and to let ourselves follow that rhythm of of you know growing dark at night
0: and then they're also missing out on simply seeing the stars
1: absolutely and you know that that was half the human experience before we had artificial light mm. you know our ancestors that nighttime was so important for them they used those stars to tell their stories and mm. and uh, and i'm sure that you know we're going to chat about that but we we've lost a connection to the night sky and what it means to humanity
0: mm. It's uh, yeah. And we will get to this, but you and I were joking when we talked for uh, when you talked to me for your own podcast about my son and his habit of coming up with his own constellations and constellation stories, which by the way are endless. You could be there literally all night listening to this kid come up with and play dot to dot in the sky. Um, But I, uh, I had concluded, you know, he's asking me, well, where did this come from? How did these people come up with this? You know, because he can't, he's not visualizing what the constellation is supposed to visualize. And I, um, and, and I'm aware that, you know, some of the, some of the stars that the ancients saw when they named these constellations are no longer visible to us. So Mm -hmm. that's certainly true. However, you know, I told him, I think they were just really bored, buddy, you know, (laughs) not a lot else going on. Um, You know, and and I joke, but that's but that's true in a way. And when we don't go out and we don't experience the night sky and we don't give our chance ourselves a chance to be a little bored, and and listeners can hear an entire episode about this very thing in uh, on the Humans Outside podcast in our episode with Michael Easter about the benefits of boredom. Uh, he wrote a book um, book on the subject. Uh, when called the comfort crisis, uh, when we don't go outside and experience this stuff, we, um, are just putting our brains on hyperdrive all the time. And it's the brain equivalent of this blue light problem that you, that you identified that we're Mm -hmm. giving light. Um, we're letting light derail us. We're letting our constant contact and constant, um, engagement derail our ability to appreciate simple things and all the benefits doing so brings, such as the stars.
1: Right. And there's a lot of times that I go out and do stargazing with people and they just can't help but pull out their phone Mm. and try to take photos, which never turns out (laughs) because, you know, our phone technology is only just now trying to be able to take those kind of photos and and then they turn their photos on it blasts out their um night vision Mm -hmm. and it is hard it's just hard to sit back and just look and just feel
0: hey humans if you want to build your own outdoor habit the humans outside 365 challenge is a great way to get started You can even score some really cool and exclusive challenge swag, including a finisher decal and medal in the process. All you need to do is visit humansoutside.com forward slash challenge. You'll also get an outdoor challenge guide written by me for you, an exclusive challenge tracker, and insider info all year long. You don't want to be left out of this. Go to humansoutside.com forward slash challenge to learn more now. Okay, back to the show. Yeah. Okay. So, with <laughs> I I think it's hilarious that you brought up the phones because the thing I'm about to ask you uh, I think I now know your answer. Okay. What is the best way to learn about stargazing? Um, and I have been trying to use an app, womp womp, called <laughs> called Night Sky. Uh, that I feel like most of the time. By the way, I feel like I'm a pretty smart person, but this app really confuses the crap out of me. I like, is it pointed the right way in the sky? <laughs> is this where these star really really are. Um, The moon never seems to be in the right place. Okay, what should I be doing? What's the best way to learn about this?
1: Actually, I'm not opposed to using a stargazing app. And And I say it on my top three tips for how to learn the night sky using a stargazing app is actually one of them. The trick with using a stargazing app so that you don't completely destroy your night vision is to, before you even use it, before you even go outside, to turn the screen brightness down. Ah, so yep, ah. get, get your screen brightness down. Most phones have some kind of a night mode. So put it in night mode. That kind of gives your screen more of a reddish color and red light is a little much less likely to ruin your night vision as long as it's not too bright.
0: So- yes, These are actionable, clear steps that I am yes. very much <laughs> taking note of and 100% going to do. Uh, on this very night, I believe it is supposed to be clear. So keep going. You're, yeah, you're helping, and so you're actively <laughs> helping me.
1: <laughs> so I think I tell people: use the stargazing app. There's a lot of them. Most of them are really great, and just find one that you really like, and 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 then just set up your phone so that you're preserving your night vision, and then use that. That's a great way to go out and start learning. Okay. I see something that looks like a pattern over here. What is it? And you can mm. point your phone over there and you might find out, oh, that's the constellation Capricornus or that's Orion or whatever. Um, or maybe you see a really, really bright star in the Western sky tonight that's super, super bright. And you, know, what star is that? And you point your app up there and you find out, oh, that's Venus. That's not even mm. a star at all. And so that's one of my number one tips to learning the night sky, use a stargazing app. Um, another tip for learning the night sky is really to give your, t- your eyes time to adjust to the dark, because the more time your eyes have to adjust to the dark, the more you can actually see. And mm. uh, science has been telling us that it takes our eyes about 40 minutes. What? 40 minutes to fully adjust to our surroundings in the dark. and But once you do that, though, you almost don't need a light for anything. Even if there's not much of a moon out or no moon out, eyes can do remarkable things in the dark. I mean, we're not as cool as some of the animals that are out there but our eyes are pretty remarkable. So when we we go outside and we spend five minutes or 10 minutes stargazing, and we've just come from a brightly lit house and we're trying to take pictures of the sky with our phone, we never give our eyes a chance to even pry to to the dark. So Mm -hmm. I know that your goal is 20 minutes. If you went outside and you gave your eyes just 20 minutes to adapt to the dark, that would be fantastic. Most people don't give that much time. And my third tip is to stargaze regularly. And the reason is because you'll start to notice on your own how different constellations will change their position in the sky as the years go going by. You can be aware of the phases of the moon. Is there a moon up there right now? If not, why? When is it coming up? Um, And then you can also watch the planets drift across the sky. Right now we see Venus and Saturn and Jupiter clear up till the end of this year. And then they're going to start slipping out of our night sky. And then you'll have to start being an early bird pre pre pre-dawn. Well, that won't be hard for you in Alaska right now. (laughs) (laughs) In Arizona, it's a little tougher. You'd have to get up before the sunrise and, and you'll be able to start seeing them before um, the sun
0: comes up. Mm. Um, I, uh, I, I'm really enjoying this conversation because you are uh, sharing brand new information with me. So I hope (laughs) our listeners are learning as much as I am uh, because often I interview people about things that I'm relatively familiar with, but this is definitely not one of them. So (laughs) um, I will say like, even my very amateur viewing, I have noticed the shifting uh, the shifting constellations. And I think part of, so correct me if I'm wrong, part of that is because I'm viewing these things at night and in the morning, um, in the dark sky. So for example, I'll be, uh, looking at pre-dawn, um, and this constellations will be in one spot. And then of course, you know, at the opposite time of day after dark in the evening, they're in a different spot. And that's because they move over the course of the night. Right.
1: Right. So there's a different things happening and i'll just put this in a short little scientific nutshell here excellent thank you (laughs) one one of course is that our earth is spinning and so from our perception the sky is rolling across from east to west but then there's something else that's happening and that is that we're traveling around the sun so when we're on one side of the sun the constellations that are on the other side we can't see so seasonally the mm. constellations will change. We're just now getting to where we can see Orion pop up before we go to bed at night. That's mm. something you cannot see at all during the summer months. We were seeing Scorpius all summer and it has disappeared. We can't see it all anymore. So part of it is seasonally, is seasonal, oh, I can't say that word, seasonality. Mm. And the other part of it is just our Earth spinning.
0: Mm. Okay. Good, uh, good information. say, guys, I just don't know anything about this. So. <laughs> All right. So do you find people are hesitant to spend time outside at night? Uh, maybe they are like me and they like to go to sleep, but um, maybe that's not it. So if so, why? And is it maybe they're afraid of the dark uh, or they're conditioned like I am to think daylight's where it's at? What's going on here?
1: I think, I think there's a combination of things going on right there. Surely there, we have a culture of being afraid of the dark. And that's why we light up the outside with artificial lights at night, because we're trying to banish the dark like it's a bad thing. Mm. Um, so culturally, I think that's embedded in us a bit. But I also think that people are busier than ever now. And I think when the nighttime comes... Like you said, either they're just too tired and they want to go to bed or they're too tired and they have a habit of vegging out with a movie or, or binge watching a TV show or, you know, just things that are indoor activities. We don't ever think, oh, I've had an exhausting day. I'm going to go veg out under the stars. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's just a shift of mindset. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at at different times of the year in Arizona in the summer, it's still a hundred degrees at 10 o'clock at night.
0: that sounds great right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it's uncomfortable to be out there. And, um, you know, it's great if you have a pool, you can go float in your pool, but then the opposite is true. Like you right now, Alaska, I have no idea what your nighttime temperature is, but I'm pretty sure it's. It's below freezing.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. At the time of this recording, it is not night. Well, it's dark, but uh, the high today will be negative. Yes, that's the first word. Two. Right now, the last time I looked at my outdoor thermostat, it was negative 15.
1: Oh goodness. You should come visit me in Arizona. It's going to be 80 degrees today. (laughs) I could get
0: on board with that right now. So
1: yeah, so so a lot of times... The temperature outside dictate whether we feel like going out or not. And I'm sure you've had a lot of conversations about this on your podcast about, you know, dressing for the weather. Mm -hmm. Just figure out, okay, how can I make myself comfortable out in that weather? And honestly, we're coming up on wintertime right now. And wintertime has some amazing stargazing opportunities.
0: Mm. Yeah. We do talk about how to dress a lot. And so I'll give my spiel on that real fast. Uh, it's all about the layering, right? It's mm-hmm. all about, um, it's all about knowing which fabrics to use and then how to layer them. So short version don't wear cotton, um, because it's not, uh, insulating and it does, and it, if it gets wet, it keeps you wet. And these are both bad things. Um, and I'm a big fan of investing in, um, Quality, high quality, long lasting, very warm things. But I'm talking to you from somewhere that it's negative 15 outside right <laughs> now, um, and I'm going to wear them all the time. I also totally realize that I have the privilege of having the funding to do that. And so, with that caveat, I say uh, if that's not you, you can still go outside. It is entirely possible to simply layer. There is, <laughs> there's really funny episode of Friends which I love, uh, where Joey wears all of Chandler's clothes. You might look like that. It's fine. Um, just make sure they're not cotton. Okay. And so you want to have layers, um, layers, thoughtful layers on with a base layer of something, not cotton, um, tight against your skin, followed by an insulating mid layer, or if, uh, things are real cold, I guess you could wear two of them. Um, so think something like fleece, um, followed by a, um, top layer where it is, uh, even, you know, it's additional insulation, but also typically sort of keeps you from getting wet. So if it is a moist night or there's rain or something like that, that top layer is 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 there for that. Um, people will look at my Instagram feed for at Humans Outside and they can see that I wear a lot of very puffy things. I'm a puffy. I don't <laughs> care. I don't care if I look like a marshmallow; it's fine, and so that's that's how I roll. Um, but yes, where knowing what to wear um, so that you can be comfortable is the most important thing going mm-hmm. outside. In- and I would
1: add one tip to that too, yeah, especially-, especially when the, especially when the weather is cold. And you want to go spend time outside. You know, we talked about how long it takes for our eyes to adapt to the dark. So, while you're getting dressed into your layers, turn the lights on inside your house mm. and maybe spend 10 or 15 minutes in your dark house where it's warm before you go outside. And that way your eyes can pre adjust and you're not spending those cold moments outside waiting for your eyes to adjust.
0: That is really smart that's why we have you on our podcast today because i did not think of that (laughs) okay um so uh i wanted to we talked earlier about star stories we sort of walked by it uh in in the ancients and our indigenous uh people so i want to come back to that uh we talk about where the constellations came from we talk about how these things got their names um we know that some of those you know i know by we i mean me that some of those for from you know long ago ancients um there's also individual star stories based on locality from our indigenous uh people whose lands many of us now live on what should we know about all of these stories how does this help our outside nighttime outside you know what i mean how does mm-hmm. it help and why is it important? I love talking about this. This is something I'm still learning a
1: lot about, and I think everyone is right now, because, you know, as Americans, we've really inherited the Greek and the Roman and, you know, Mm -hmm. Babylonian star stories, so when we look up at the constellations, that's what we see. We see Orion as a hunter, or we see Capricornus, the goat or Aries is a ram. Those are the things that we've inherited from our European um, ancestors, and we've brought it here with us. But not all of the indigenous peoples saw the same thing in the stars, and mm. and so they had you know their own star stories. Um, so for example, I love this example, Orion. In the, in the European tradition, Orion was a mighty hunter. And we see him with his belt across his waist. We see his sword hanging from his belt. And there's stories that encompass nearby constellations that tell his story. And it's fabulous. It's really fun. But that story isn't the same for other cultures around the world. So, for example, in um, in Australia, or I'm sorry, in New Zealand, their star story is completely different because they don't see Orion as a hunter at all. They see a canoe in the sky, and his mm-hmm. belt that's made up of those three stars in a row that are a straight line. They see those as three brothers who are sitting in the canoe. And then those three stars that hang down to make Orion's sword, they see that as three fish that are dangling in the ocean off of the side of the canoe. And they have a whole story about that, which is really fantastic. But, but the point is, is that different cultures saw different things. They use those things to tell different stories. Sometimes they were tell you know, their origins, where did they as a people come from? How did all the people get here on earth? The Cree Indians of North America and Canada, they have an amazing story, origin story of the Pleiades, and that we all came here through Pleiades. And so, sometimes they tell stories of where they're, where they came from. Sometimes there's stories um, for their children that are moral lessons. The New Zealand story of the canoe with the three brothers is a moral story because they were out fishing and caught kingfish. And in their culture and their tradition, the kingfish was an elevated fish and they should have been protecting it, not catching it to eat. (laughs) And so... These, these stories were told for different purposes. And of course, we can't ever overlook the fact that the stars for every culture across all time, they were used as a calendar. It helped them to decide sure. when is it time to plant our crops? When is it time to harvest our crops? When is the season when the snakes are going to crawl out of the ground and we need to start watching out for snakes. When do the snakes go back into the ground? So we feel yes, more that's food? the
0: important question.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, and then of course they used them to help Mark when they have their cultural festivals and celebration mm. and things. And so Um, the stars have been wrapped up in, in human tradition and storytelling since the beginning of, of human time. And, and that's, you know, coming back to the concept of light pollution, when the, when the light pollution erases those stories from the sky, Mm. we lose something as, as a human race.
0: Mm. Oh, I love it. Um, thank you for sharing those with us. And, uh, Mm -hmm. that's, um, so let me ask you this: How could somebody um, learn the star stories and their lo- of their specific location? So you're obviously very familiar with with many, um, and you are in Arizona, but our listeners are everywhere. So what's the best way to connect with these star stories of your local indigenous population? <sighs>
1: Um, That's a good question. And I think right now, the idea of bringing these star stories from different indigenous cultures um, into the mainstream consciousness, this is kind of a new thing. So, you know, you might live in a place where there's a museum, where they tell some of that, um, but it is fairly new. So there is a website that I've just become familiar with, and it's called, um, oh, I might tell you wrong, but I'll give you the link for your show notes. I think it's called Night Skywatcher or Native Skywatchers.com. And there's a woman who, she's um, a native woman from um, one of the Dakotas, I believe. And she's actually an astrophysicist, but she's also starting to bring these um, indigenous star stories to light all around the world and collecting them and finding a way to make it so that people can start to learn them. So mm-hmm. we do recommend that website as a great starting point. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of times those indigenous people, those stories were just for them. And mm-hmm. so they're not necessarily published out there. Um, but starting with a local, um, indigenous museum could be a good starting place.
0: And I'll add for listeners who are in Alaska, the Anchorage museum has a planetarium and addresses some of these things here. Um, and so my family and I will be visiting that, uh, this season, um, to learn those things there. Um, so I cannot give you a review because I have not yet gone, but, um, I've read quite a bit about it. Um, and I am excited to go check it out. So I hope, hopefully you can do that too, if you're here in Alaska where I am. Um, and I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. We haven't, has not happened yet, but I, uh, will reach out to this website you just mentioned and see about having them on the show. Um, because I think that would be really interesting. And of course, much better than talking about somebody's work is having them talk about their own work. So absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Okay. Um, we talked about tips for uh, learning to stargaze, but from a like more practical level, if this is something that you want to have as a new hobby, how can you get involved? Is there, I mean, you do night sky tours, so I'm obviously that's a thing. Is there any other way?
1: Sure. And, you know, people need to realize you don't necessarily have to own a telescope or binoculars to enjoy the night sky. They, they are great. I mean, if you can get one of those, definitely do it. But I also recommend to join your local astronomy club. There are cities across Across the world that have astronomy clubs and the people who tend to join them and run them have telescopes and there's nothing they love more than to to pull out the telescope and do what they call a star party and just invite people to come. Sometimes they'll have like uh, laser pointers where they can actually point things out in the sky to you. You know how impossible it is when somebody's pointing to something in the sky and you don't even know what they're pointing at. Sure. Um, laser pointer is awesome. So they'll, they'll do that. So I recommend for sure, starting right there. Um, there are some podcasts um, that have star tours, for example, on my podcast, Night Sky Tourist, the last part of every podcast is It's intended for you to take the podcast outside and Mm. I kind of give you a little tour across the night sky to identify planets, constellations. Sometimes I'll tell an indigenous star story with some of the constellations. So there's things like that there. And also, I really love getting a chance to visit observatories, planetariums, things like Mm. that, even science centers that are focused on astronomy and things. And there's so much fun stuff you can do. So as a night sky tourist, it's everything from taking your eyes on a tour across the night sky to traveling to really cool facilities where you can have an indoor experience.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Last part of our podcast, little leftover situation. Um, really interested to hear about this since we're talking about something so outside of my realm of expertise, <laughs> talk to me about what your favorite and or most essential gear would be like if people are looking for some tools or something that you love to use or whatever, what do you recommend?
1: Well, I already mentioned using a star app and I don't recommend any specific one cause there's so many good ones out there. So just pick one. Um, but I also like to have a red flashlight. Hmm. Um, And one that's not very bright because you go outside in the dark and you are going to have to sometimes make sure that you're walking safely to wherever you're going to go sit or stand. Mm -hmm. And the last thing you want to do is to turn on a regular flashlight or the flashlight on your phone because it's going to blow out your night vision. So get a flashlight that has a red light in it and one that's not too bright. And that's perfect because red light does more to protect your night vision. It's a great, great, great tool.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I'm remembering that our head, some of our headlamps that we own, mm-hmm. uh, had a red light function. Yep. Um, I was never entirely sure what that was for, to be honest with you. Yeah.
1: It's great for that. <laughs> and, you know, just make sure that when you know with other people that you never aim your light at someone else's face, because then you blow out their vision, even if it's red.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Also something very difficult to remember, remember when the headlamp is on your head. Yes. So so, solid tip. Thank you. Um, And uh, you know, the, if you're looking for a kind of, you know, specific headlamp guys, I just, I recommend you just give it a quick Google. There are so many different Mm -hmm. options. Some are rechargeable. Some have long lasting batteries. Some are super lightweight. It, It would be basically impossible for me to give you Um, a specific recommendation on that. So I'm I'm just not going to do it. Um, (laughs) uh, Okay. Last question. Um, If we're going to walk out of this conversation with you, envisioning ourselves in a moment outside that really gives you peace and joy and is something you just like to think about or hearken back to, um, where are you and what are, what are you doing?
1: Oh, I love this question because I love thinking about this one moment that really captured my attention. So we're gonna travel back in time to 1992. And I had graduated high school the year before and I was in Albania for two months doing a humanitarian trip there. And we went into the Northern part of the country for a couple of days and our group decided we wanted to sleep outside under the stars. I don't know why young, you know, early twenties. And we rolled our sleeping bags out right there on the ground. I crawled into my sleeping bag. And when I looked up, I, I couldn't even speak. I had never in my life seen so many stars in the sky at one time. I, I just thought that those images that I saw in magazines and things like that, that they were doctored up a lot. And obviously some some of those really are, but this was a legitimately overwhelming starry night sky. And then to top it off, it was a major meteor shower that night. So I've never in my life before or after have seen so many stars in such a small amount of time. That, Um, That memory will never leave my mind.
0: That is so, so cool. I don't think we've ever imagined ourselves in Albania. Something about
1: that—that's awesome. Yeah, I recommend it as a place to visit. Absolutely recommend it.
0: Very cool. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us on Humans Outside today. Sure, appreciate your expertise and sharing it with us.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I had a great time, and I love what you're
0: doing. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Humans Outside. If you've enjoyed this episode, take a second to leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. That makes it easier for others to find the podcast too. Your positive review makes a huge difference. Now go get outside. Until next time, we'll see you out there.